New to the living healthy lifestyle or a healthy living veteran, this is your place for honest answers. Naturally Savvy with registered holistic nutritionist Andrea Donsky and health journalist Lisa Davis. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. My co-host Andrea is away today. Before we bring in our fantastic guests, I wanted to thank our wonderful June sponsor, Goddess Garden. I don't know if you know this, but the reefs are disappearing twice as fast as rainforests and chemical sunscreens are a big culprit. They cause endocrine disruption in corals, just like they do in people. So we really want to take better care of the earth, take better care of the ocean, take better care of ourselves. So be sure to check out Reef Safe Mineral Sunscreen. Goddess Garden now have an SPF 50 formula for the whole family. Check them out at www.goddessgarden.com. All right. So I've been a fan of this guy for a long time. I had him on my other show, It's Your Health, and he's just fantastic. We're talking about Chris Killam. He's the medicine hunter, author and educator, the founder of Medicine Hunter, Inc. He has conducted medicinal plant research in over 45 countries. Chris works with companies to develop and popularize traditional plant-based food and medicinal products into market successes. These include, and I'll probably mispronounce some of these, uh, ashwagandha, which we'll be talking about today, kava, maca, rhodalia. Actually, I'm going to let him say this because I'm going to butcher them all. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be on with you today. It's so nice to have you on. I'm like known for mispronouncing things. So when we got to the S-C-H-I-S-N-D-R-A, I wasn't even, it's Shisandra? Sh- That's Shisandra Berry. Oh, okay. Well, Shizandra is get... one of the adaptogenic herbs, those herbs that help you to defend yourself against all forms of physical and mental stress. And uh, Shizandra is uh, also known as five flavored berry because it's sweet, sour, salty, bitter, and pungent all at the same time. It's most unusual that way. Oh, it sounds like it. Well, I can't wait to get into the nitty gritty of these, especially uh, ashwagandha. But before we do that, I want to hear about just how you grew up and when you first got interested in looking at plants for medicine. Well, I grew up in the suburbs outside of Boston and had no particular naturalist background. But, um, you know, there were woods and fields uh, near where I grew up and my friends and I spent a lot of time, you know, outdoors. It wasn't at that time, you know, not everybody was uh, buried in electronic uh, gizmos. In fact, we didn't have electronic gizmos. And um, when I was a teenager, I became interested in herbs and uh, knew precious little about them. In fact, close to nothing. And it took me uh, quite a few years to, you know, find some decent books on herbs and some people who knew anything more uh, than I did. And over time, uh, I began to, you know, work in natural food stores and co-ops and to kind of condense a whole gigantic long career path into a a few lines uh, as a result of working in different sectors of the natural product scene and, um, you know, gobbling hundreds of books and, and learning from people who knew more than I did. I wound up becoming fairly knowledgeable about botanicals myself and combined that with my love of travel. And I've spent the past couple of decades 
you know, going around the world investigating natural herbal remedies from, you know, India, China, the South Pacific, uh, North and South America, all over Africa, the Middle East, uh, in many, many places. And it's been quite phenomenal. You know, I get to spend time with native people and wild environments and learn about natural medicines. And all in all, I, you know, I pinch myself with gratitude for, you know, what I get to do out there. Yeah, that is so exciting. It's interesting. When I was in college, I studied anthropology. And then in my last semester, my senior year, I took a medical anthropology class and I was just fascinated. And that's kind of what led me to get into healthcare. And then I got a master's in public health. And, but I could imagine, I mean, I was just studying it from afar, but it must be so exciting to actually be there and, and meet the people and see what they do and see how they use the herbs. Tell us some stories. <laughs> well, um, you know, in, in uh, 1995, I was asked by uh, some people who, some investors who had purchased a gigantic botanical extraction company and didn't know what to do with it, you know, what they should do with it. And I said, well, you know, you really ought to look at developing kava. And they said, and, and you know, what do we do to do that? And I said, you send me to the South Pacific and you pay me a lot of money. And I kind of held my breath waiting for them to just sort of throw me out of the room. And they said, okay. And uh, so that began <laughs> a 10-year um, stint going back and forth to Vanuatu, South Pacific, and to taking a botanical that at the time was uh, virtually unknown in the U.S., uh, it had been known up until the 50s as a medicine, but um, investigating it, uh, becoming good friends with native people in in remote places and drinking a lot of kava, which is a very relaxing, you know, profoundly uh, tranquility promoting herb. And in the course of that, um, you know, spending time with chiefs and uh, firewalking six years in a row and uh, you know, having great, great experiences, oh, sorry, in very remote places that uh, most people would never get to go to. And that was really one of the, not only one of the most um, unusual engagements I've had just in terms of really remote culture, but also one in which I, I made, you know, lifelong friends and uh, had experiences that you just can't, you know, you can't get by going on a tour. <laughs> <laughs> to say the what least. would you have done if if they had said no? Do you think you would have? I imagine with your passion, you would have found a way to make it happen and to get out there and do what you want to do. Well, I don't know. I mean, what I think is that I've been extremely fortunate and, um, you know, circumstances arise that are potentially opportunities and you know, as with as with that, you're right. I mean, they could easily have said no, but they didn't. They were enthusiastic about the process, about the prospect. And I think that with the the herbal world, and, and you know this to be so, maybe oh, twenty twenty five years ago, people could level the criticism that there wasn't enough science on them. But nobody right. can say that today. Nobody can say that today. There are thousands and thousands of studies and hundreds of thousands of published scientific papers on herbs. And it's become a, you know, a big, 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 more than $100 billion uh, business, as well as a huge global field out there. And, and so I think there's a lot 
lot of opportunity. There are a lot of, you know, chances to go to places and to find botanicals that get used in the culture and, and help to, uh, you know, make those market successes here and in Europe. And that's basically what I've, I've gotten to do over the course of my travels and that, you know, that has led me to some great adventures and some uh, certainly to some misadventures as well, but it's all been phenomenally rewarding. And for me, really far better than um, being in an office environment, which, which is sort of like death to me. Oh, yeah. No, I I, <laughs> I hear you. You know, it's interesting. I live outside of Boston now in, a, in an area that's a third conservation land. And my husband grew up here and he talked about growing up and just that freedom and running around in the woods and playing with his friends and having fun. And it's really nice. I do that now all the time. I couldn't imagine. I mean, I can leave my house and within two minutes, I could be snowshoeing if there's snow, obviously. <laughs> but sure, it's pretty good. Sure. It's really and, nice and to have that sort no, of I really feel for kids who don't have immediate access to nature because that entire right. experience of you know, knowing the woods and the fields and, and being familiar with the trees and, you know, knowing when wild fruits are in season and, and you know, what flowers happen when. I mean, that entire sensibility, um, a lot of kids don't have that. And as about 70% of the global population lives in cities now, you know, people are really nature starved. And, and fortunately, um, you know, I, my friends and I weren't nature starved. And I think that gave us a, a great advantage overall, just in terms of appreciation for uh, nature and life. Oh, I definitely agree. So when you were out there with the kava, were, were there certain ways that they were using it that you thought, wow, I didn't even know this existed? I'm assuming you must have learned a lot of different ways of that these herbs can be used. Well, kava... Um, how we use kava, Lisa, mostly mm -hmm. in yes. supplement form, is as a, a mild relaxant. How they use kava in the South Pacific, and especially in Vanuatu, South Pacific, which is where I've spent my time, is really as a time of day. So around 3.30 in the afternoon, somebody will jokingly say, hey, you know, what time is it? And everybody will go, it's kava time. And they'll just stop doing what they're doing. <laughs> they'll stop their work. They'll stop whatever in their, they're in the middle of. And then that is the beginning of, of making kava, which is a very labor-intensive process that involves, uh, you know, cleaning and chopping these tough, 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 fresh kava roots and grinding them and pounding them and mixing them with water and squeezing them through strainers and serving coconut shells of this. And this can go on for hours in the course of an afternoon and evening. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I had read about that, but to to see it, to be part of it, to, um, you know, develop friendships where, you know, late afternoon we go, you know, let's go get some kava. And we'd, we'd go to, you know, either a, a one or one of the two, no, you know, local huts in a, in a small village in the middle of nowhere, or if we were in a somewhat of a small town to go to the so-called kava bars, which only serve kava, um, just becoming familiar with that was absolutely new and novel for me. You're right about that. And great fun, great yeah. fun. I mean, you know, I I, I work uh, with the plants, but the big draw for me is the people and the relationships I make. 
Oh, yeah, I, I can imagine. Tell us about some of those. And how do you I mean, do you use like, uh, you know, technology or do you write letters or like, what do you do to stay in touch with people? Well, it has changed over time. I mean, when I started doing this work, there was very little e-communication. Um, right. well, actually, when I really started doing this work, there was no e-communication. Uh, so it has changed over time. I mean, now when I go to a native place, you know, I've just recently done a project in uh, the Malaysian rainforest and, and one right after that in the Amazon and uh, one in, in a kind of a remote part of southern eastern China. And in each case, you know, I've really had all of the um, modern ways of communication, um, not necessarily when in the forest, but uh, certainly, you know, during the times and I would be, you know, staying overnight someplace. So it, as far as staying in touch with people, the modernization of uh, communication, even with people living in very, very remote uh, places, you know, almost everybody has a cell phone now. So um, it has made it a lot of lot easier to stay in touch with friends and acquaintances and people that I've met in the course of doing this work. Now, what about different languages? How does that play out? And have you learned some different languages or enough to make conversation or what? Talk to us about that. Well, no. Um, part of part of this is that I'm not spectacular at learning languages in the first place. I mean, I I can speak some passable French. Uh, I can understand and speak a bit of Spanish, but for the most part, I don't really possess great language skills. Um, I'm in so many different countries. You know, I might be in Russia and then in China and then in Malaysia and then in Syria and then in Vanuatu and then, you know, on and on and on. Yeah. <laughs> and the languages are constantly different. So I don't really have the time to dedicate myself to learning a particular language. I'm being hit with one language after another. But yes, when I go to a place where English is not a common language, then I'll invariably have, um, you know, somebody who can translate for me. I usually have a team. I usually have a team. If I go, um, like, you know, I, when I just did this project in, in, uh, Malaysia and, and, uh, well, in China and the Amazon, in each in each case, I had a team waiting for me uh, for transportation, for translation, people to go around with me. Uh, and, and that's really key to my work. I mean, I don't do this work by myself. I may be the lead and I may be the person organizing all of it, but I always have people without whom I could not do this at all. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let's talk about uh, Ashtawanga. Am I saying that right? Wait, Ashtawanga, Ash, I'm saying that totally wrong. Uh, you know, that was right. Ashtawaganda, am I, is that correct? Yes, Ashwagandha, right. Ash, okay, what is Ashwagandha? Ashwagandha is the root of a plant that grows in India and also can be found in parts of Africa and the Mediterranean. And um, it's what's known as an adaptogen. So it's an herb that really helps you to adapt to all forms of physical and mental stress. And it does that mostly by re reducing the concentration of stress hormones in blood. And ashwagandha you're you're familiar, I'm assuming, with the Indian uh, system of health, Ayurveda, whose name means yes. science of life. And 
they use about, oh, seven and a half thousand different herbs in the Ayurvedic system. But the number one herb, the single most important one, is ashwagandha. And it's been used for about 4,000 years that we know of for enhancing strength, endurance, stamina, sexual vitality, mental alertness and clarity for uh, helping to promote a great night's sleep um, for reducing stress overall. And it's one of those botanicals that really makes you feel good. So ashwagandha has, you know, played a key role in Ayurveda and in uh, Ayurvedic medicine for a long, long time. And these days, different companies make uh, specialized extracts of ashwagandha. Um, and in in the case of my work, I, I work with the company KSM 66, who has conducted, I think now 17 human clinical studies on their ashwagandha extract and, and the effects of it. So uh, ashwagandha has really gone from a long, long history, at least 4,000 years of use among hundreds of millions of people to being also something that uh, has a great body of science behind it. And I, and I think we see this happening with many herbs that have been used traditionally, that have shown great benefit. We all know they're helpful, but now we also have scientific studies to back up those traditional uses. Now, I understand that you recently returned from India. You were there in time for the ashwagandha harvest. Tell us what that was like. Where'd you go? What'd you do? What did it feel like? All that good stuff. Well, this was last uh, February when the harvest oh, okay. the, in India, in sort of north central India, there's an area called Rajasthan. It's a great big province. And Rajasthan is home to the Thar Desert. And Rajasthan is also kind of the last remnant of what people think of as old India, palaces, camels, elephants, etc. And it's also, um, because it's very arid, very dry, it's a perfect growing environment for ashwagandha. So I went there and I spent a little bit of time uh, in Delhi at some of the government offices, uh, Ministry of Health, Ministry of Ayurveda, learning uh, more about, you know, kind of their interest in spreading the word about natural medicine globally. And then I went to uh, the National Ayurvedic Center in Jaipur, India, which is, is in Rajasthan. And from there, uh, to the, the cultivation fields where I saw thousands of acres of ashwagandha that had been planted about five, six months before and was ready for harvest. And, you know, there um, mostly women are harvesting these roots that really the harvest is a lot like pulling carrots. Um, the roots themselves do sort of look like small white carrots, and it's all handwork. Uh, and it was a, it was you know wonderful and fascinating to see the harvest. I, I like being in agricultural areas anyway, and this was all organic cultivation. So there was you know no use of toxic pesticides, none of that kind of thing. Uh, quite beautifully well done, and that was uh, I had seen individual roots harvested before on. Uh, any number of my other trips to India over the decades, but I'd never seen harvesting the way I did this past February on such a large scale. And it was 
quite interesting to you know to see one of the um concerns that people had oh 15 years ago or so lisa was that ashwagandha was becoming so popular that there was great concern that the supply uh would be you know inadequate in the wild and that and that it would just eventually become extinct but that really encouraged a lot of people to cultivate on a large scale so now i can say that problem you know really isn't an issue and uh cultivation has way exceeded wild harvesting and that's a good thing you know that's a good thing oh yeah oh definitely now when they once they harvest it what comes next how do they break it down i know you talked about the kava and there was a grinding and the pressing is it the same thing well, and they once you harvest the ashwagandha root uh, most of the time ashwagandha gets made into an extract gets made into certain preparations so in this case uh the roots were you know harvested um they had the chop the tops which are kind of like carrot tops chopped off and then they were cleaned you know cleaned in water and scrubbed so that they didn't have any residues of of dirt or anything on them dried in the sun and then those were transported to um actually to hyderabad india in the south for extraction and you know, when people hear the term extraction, I just want to explain this a little bit. An extract okay. basically means uh, that you you engage in a process that pulls the goodies out of plant material. So if you, for example, make a cup of tea, you put a tea bag in a, in a cup or a glass and you pour boiling water in, that water turns color over time and it develops a flavor and aroma because basically you're pulling the extractable materials in that tea out of the physical tea leaves themselves. And in the case of ashwagandha, in the case of um, commercial herbal extraction, this is done on a huge scale, tons and tons of material at a time. So I basically followed the ashwagandha from the agricultural fields where it was cultivated organically um, to the factory where it underwent a lengthy process to become, in that instance, the KSM-66 ashwagandha extract that's uh, been clinically studied. But you know, it's a fascinating process to see something uh, go from a field where, you know, women are hand pulling this thing that looks a lot like a white, white carrot to a stainless steel extraction facility that, you know, really is is super, super clean. But that's typical of how the herbal scene happens around the world now, uh, whether you're talking about India or China or South America or any number of places throughout, you know, throughout North America, Europe, et cetera, um, traveling from, you know, the soil or the forest or wherever the herb might come from uh, to a modern facility where it'll undergo extraction and, you know, then the concentration of that herbal extract remains consistent throughout so that if you or I use that extract as a supplement, use that for our health, uh, we get consistent effects. Now, you hear sometimes that there's solvents or other chemicals, but I'm imagining in this case they're not using that for extraction because you'll see that on some labels, you know, not used with such and such. And 
Right. There are all different kinds of solvents that can be used and are used oh, okay. in um, extraction. Uh, in this, but there's a great movement toward um, you know green technology to uh, water only extraction or um, even something like water and alcohol is very very clean. Uh, in the case of the uh, the ashwagandha extract I'm talking about, um, it's a, you know, water extraction. Well, there are actually two, two ways that they do it. One is a traditional way as described in the old, uh, Ayurvedic texts, extracting with water and milk together, uh, to tease out some of the fatty compounds from the root or, and they have a whole other process. that's just water. So no, they, they do avoid, um, you know, the the nasty solvents. I mean, some companies use acetone or hexane or benzene to extract. And you certainly don't want a health product made with those solvents because they have, a you know, a certain level of toxicity. And that's just not necessary to put in your body. Yeah, that is very true. Well, Chris, the time goes by so fast. The good news is Chris is going to be back next time. We're going to continue this wonderful conversation. In the meantime, Chris, how do people find you? Well, they can go to my website, Lisa, which is medicinehunter.com, and you'll find, uh, you know, a couple hundred TV show links to look at and a lot of information about medicinal plants and some info on my books and and other things and and a lot of photography of the places that I go to. So, again, medicinehunter.com. You know, it's funny you say that because I was going to ask and say, you must have such an incredible photography collection. I can't even imagine. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that in the next show. I want to thank everyone for listening. You can check us out on Twitter at Andrea Donsky, at Your Radio MD, at Nationally Savvy, and at Health Media Gal 1, just the number one, not O-N-E. And also be sure to check out our wonderful sponsor this month, GoddessGarden.com. Thanks for listening and stay well.